WATH. As you can tell from the music, it's time for Kim and Ruth. And this morning, they are welcoming in Dr. James Gastaldo, who is a leading infectious disease specialist in central Ohio and in the state. And my guess is uh, they'll be discussing the effects of COVID and uh, what is going on in the world of health today. So stay tuned for that. Waiting for Kim to call in here in just any second, we hope anyway, so we can get started here. We could use some sunshine, Kim Valentour, whenever you're ready to call in. And I do believe, I think this is Kim Valentour calling right now. And uh, good morning, Kim, Ruth, and Dr. Gastaldo. How are you all doing this morning? Doing great. Thank you. Yes. Well, I was playing the intro music there, and I said, waiting for Kim to call in here. And <laughs> this day can really use some sunshine, and I know it's on the way. And here it comes with Kim Valentor right now before I answered the phone. So <laughs> <laughs> so good timing. Uh, so We got your back, Scott. We yes, got your back. Okay. Yes, we do. Hey, it's, it, it's reciprocated, too. I got yours as well. <laughs> so we're glad to have you on, and Dr. Gastaldo, and uh, we're certainly appreciative of his time to share with us this morning about health-related topics. So uh, welcome, Dr. Gastaldo. Glad to have you here today. Well, thanks for having me again. It purely is my uh, pleasure, honor, and delight to be here uh, speaking with you guys about important topics for the community. Yes, absolutely. And as I was promoing the show this morning on my morning show, uh, I, I did a little bit more than usual because of, uh, you know, the health topics that are prevalent today in society and things that we need to know about. And uh, certainly are appreciative, again, of your time taking uh, out your uh, of your busy schedule to be with us here. So, uh, we we are, as I've told Ruth and Kim, we are members of the Mutual Admiration Society, and uh, so that's that's what we do here, right, Kim and Ruth? That's right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and with that admiration, I'll turn the airwaves over to you all. So, uh, again, thank you for being here today. Thank you, Scott. And, hey, Dr. Gastaldo is actually becoming probably a veteran guest on our radio program, but just in case you happen to be tuned in and listening for the first time, Um, We should tell you that he is an infectious disease specialist and the Ohio Health System's medical director for infectious diseases. So he's joining us today from Columbus, Ohio, or I think that's where he's located. And we are going to focus on two different topics, Um, one that's making the news and all the headlines called monkeypox, and then, of course, COVID, Um, the coronavirus, you know, that's been around for a couple of years now. So without any delay, because we're trying to cram so much in a short period of time, um, let's get started, Dr. Gustado. I think we thought we might start with some info about what's hitting the headlines right now, and that's monkeypox. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, again, thank you for having me. I think this is my uh, third or fourth time speaking to this community, and I'm coming to you live from Riverside Methodist Hospital in, in Columbus, Ohio. 
And uh, like you said before, uh, the virus that causes COVID-19 is still here. Uh, the pandemic is still going on, and uh, we are going to talk about monkeypox. But, you know, everything's in uh, context, and still the virus for the general public to be more concerned about still the virus that causes COVID-19. In our country, we're averaging anywhere between uh, 450 to close to 500 deaths a day still from COVID-19. Um, um, the other virus we're going to start talking about now is monkeypox, and that is the name of the virus. The name of the virus is monkeypox. Uh, we have not had any deaths yet in our country from monkeypox. Um, there have been a few deaths outside of the United States, and these are people who really have uh, weakened immune systems. And uh, the monkeypox virus is nowhere near as transmissible or as contagious as the virus that causes COVID-19. And I, I, I do want to say that. And talking about monkeypox, too, is not uh, inducing fear or panic in the public. We have an obligation to put good knowledge out there for the public so they are informed. Uh, we don't want to induce a fear. We don't want to induce any homophobia or transphobia. We don't want to stigmatize anybody's sexual preferences. We just want to get the facts out there to people so, so they really know how to best protect themselves. Understand. Can you maybe just tell us and uh, give us a really quick 101 on monkeypox? Because most of us have heard of chickenpox and most of us have heard of smallpox. We've been around long enough to know that. How are they related and how are they different and, and what exactly is it? Yeah, so monkeypox is a virus. And even though a chickenpox has pox in it, it is not a pox virus. That is actually a herpes virus. So that's actually misnamed. So uh, monkeypox is closely related to smallpox. Smallpox has been eradicated. That only occurs in human beings. But uh, uh, monkeypox was first identified in 1950s, and um, it does reside in certain animals in Africa, like rodents and squirrels and things like that. And uh, it's been around uh, since the 1970s when we first had our human infection identified in the 1970s. And it predominantly lived in certain parts of Africa when people had close contact uh, to animals that contained the virus. In 2003, in the United States, we had our first monkeypox brought into the United States by animals. There were rats that were imported into the United States in 2003. These rats were kept in the same cages as prairie dogs. The prairie dogs got monkeypox, and then prairie dogs were adopted by uh, people in the United States, including some people in Ohio, who, who contracted monkeypox. And again, you really had to have close contact with these prairie dogs to get monkeypox. So what's happening now is really unheard of. So worldwide, there are uh, over 30,000 cases of confirmed monkeypox now in over 80 countries that historically have not seen monkeypox. Monkeypox we're seeing now is being transmitted from human to human without having any exposure to a known animal or anybody who has had recent travel to Africa. Uh, monkeypox is not a sexually transmitted infection in the same context as syphilis, gonorrhea, or other type of uh, things we've heard about before. You really have to have uh, close, intimate contact with somebody who has monkeypox to get monkeypox. Um, you're not expected to get monkeypox by going to a grocery store, uh, touching a shopping cart or anything like that. You really have to have close, intimate contact with somebody who has monkeypox. And when you say, you know, you have to have close contact, does it have to be, I mean, can it be really brief contact or 
does it have to be extended contact or is there any, you know, any context to that? Yeah, so it's it's really prolonged intimate contact. So, for example, obviously, uh, sexual intimacy is prolonged uh, contact. Um, uh, people sleeping together in a bed, uh, that's prolonged contact. People hanging out and hugging on a couch watching a movie together, that's prolonged contact. Uh, so uh, you're, you're not going to get it from a casual handshake, uh, but it really is a prolonged contact with somebody. And, again, that person uh, has to be sick with monkeypox. They have to have um, visible lesions on their skin, uh, visible lesions uh, in other parts of their body. Uh, people who have monkeypox, if they have um, uh, respiratory coughs or droplets, that can also transmit the virus too. But again, it's really prolonged intimate contact with somebody, not casual contact. Okay. Now, you've already talked about when, you know, at the beginning of the show um, about sort of some parallels maybe that could be with COVID and monkeypox, um, the infectious rate, that sort of thing. But what about the uh, how sick people get? Yeah, that's get a great monkeypox? Yeah, that's a great question. So for the most part, and again, I want to say for the most part, and I'll talk about some caveats. For the most part, people who have monkeypox um, will get over it anywhere from up to uh, two to six weeks. However, though, it's not something you want to take lightly because if you have monkeypox, even though you're not severely ill, uh, you're going to have uh, potentially a very miserable uh, two to six weeks. Uh, you're going to have a, a lot of skin sores. You can have a lot of pain, a lot of itching, and you really have to be isolated from everybody until all of the skin lesions are healed. You have to sequester yourself in your house. You can't be around any animals or pets. And uh, that's, that's the part that's really uh, um, challenging for people. In addition, um, the World Health Organization is estimating that about 10% of people who get monkeypox will require hospitalization. Here at Ohio Health, we've had a couple people who have had to been hospitalized who've had monkeypox. They needed to be admitted for really pain management because the pain was so bad uh, from the monkeypox. Uh, outside of the United States, uh, there have been some reported deaths from monkeypox. We have not had any of those reported in the United States yet, uh, and those deaths were really with people who had weakened immune systems or other risk factors for having a bad outcome from monkeypox. Well, that was going to be my next question, Dr. Gestaldo. Was, are there parallels with monkeypox as with COVID that there are some um, groups, some parts of our population, such as elderly people, people who are immune compromised, maybe, I don't know, young children or infants who are at higher risk for having a more severe um, illness when they get monkeypox? Uh, absolutely. So um, people who are at risk of having a severe outcome from monkeypox, and by the way, these are all the same people who should be considered for antiviral pills for monkeypox. So specifically, we're talking about those with weakened immune systems, transplant patients, uh, those on other medicines that weaken your immune system, those with advanced HIV infection, uh, those who have advanced HIV infection do have weakened immune systems, uh, a, a pregnant woman or a woman who is breastfeeding, uh, those individuals are at higher risk of having severe outcomes from monkeypox. And then finally, unlike COVID, this is the difference, unlike COVID, People below the age of eight years old are a higher risk of having a severe infection from monkeypox. And all those individuals I just described are people who should be considered for the antiviral pill that helps treat people who have monkeypox. And the antiviral pill is something you would give once there's been a diagnosis? 
That is correct. So the name of the pill is called uh, Ticoviramat. It goes by the uh, trade name of T-Pox, T-P-O-X-X. Uh, this medication is available through the local health department who connects with the Ohio Department of Health to get this medication. And, uh, again, you have to have the diagnosis of monkeypox uh, to get access to this medication. And like I said previously, it's only meant for those people who either have severe disease or those at risk to develop severe disease with monkeypox. Okay. Now, I know we've been reading um, in the newspapers, too, about a monkeypox vaccine. Is there one? Yeah. There is a monkeypox vaccine. So the name of the monkeypox vaccine is Genios. That's actually the preferred vaccine. Uh, there is an older um, smallpox vaccine that I would really not recommend people getting. Uh, the National Strategic Stockpile actually has both. So Genios is the preferred vaccine. Here's the issue. There is only one factory in Denmark that makes the preferred vaccine Genios. And right now, the United States only has a very limited supply of Genios. Kind of reminds me of the COVID-19 vaccines when they first came out, where mm -hmm. the demand for the vaccine far outweighs the supply. So right now, the Department of Health and Human Services is starting to release a very, very limited amount of the monkeypox vaccine. And they're really focusing it on the areas like New York City that have the most confirmed cases. We know that the Department of Health and Human Services is anticipating about 2 million doses to become available uh, throughout the rest of 2022, with additional 2.2 million doses uh, being available in the first half of 2023. And then yesterday, there was actually big, big news announced by the FDA when it comes to the Genios vaccine. And uh, right now, up until yesterday, the Genios vaccine was a shot that was given um, in the fat in the body. So we call that a subcutaneous uh, injection. Uh, so what happened uh, yesterday was, uh, since we are in an emergency situation with monkeypox, the FDA has given the guidance saying that you can give one-fifth of the regular dose and you can give it right underneath the skin called an intradermal injection. And by giving one-fifth of the dose, uh, there's one study out there showing that you get uh, just as uh, high antibody levels giving it that way. So um, uh, having said that, that really means that the vaccine supply we have, you can multiply that times five, and we'll have more vaccines available for those who should be receiving it. Mm -hmm. Good news. Huh? <laughs> yeah, great, great news. I can tell you, in, in Columbus, uh, you know, we have such a great health department here in Franklin County uh, with Franklin County Public Health and the city of Columbus Public Health. Uh, they did have some vaccines that became available toward the end of last week and then Monday, Monday today. But those appointments went up very, very quickly. And there still is a huge demand for the vaccines here in Ohio and even outside of Ohio. Okay. So, you know, obviously because the demand um, or because the supply is not available uh, except to maybe prioritized groups. If there were, you know, if we were in a world where there was unlimited amounts of the monkeypox vaccine, do you think there would be a public health campaign going on now trying to encourage all people to become vaccinated, you know, in the same way that there was a campaign for the COVID vaccine? Um, yes and no. I, I, think, I, I think right now there's not a need for everybody to get vaccinated. I, I do think we should take the vaccines and really offer them more broadly uh, to the community who really needs them, and that's really the uh, LGBTQ plus community. 
Um, I, I would think it makes good health policy to offer the vaccine to everybody in that community. And then we really need to uh, watch and see what happens with the vaccines. And um, we still need to be on point with contact tracing. So I'll give you an example. Uh, if there is somebody, let's say hypothetically, there is a gay man who lives in a household with uh, five other people. And uh, if that person does have monkeypox, Everybody in that household needs to get vaccinated as soon as possible. Uh, my concern with offering the vaccine to everybody in the public is kind of like the COVID-19 vaccine. Not everybody uh, really took to that message of the importance of getting the COVID-19 vaccine. And we still roughly have uh, about 30 to 35 million people in our country who have not yet been vaccinated uh, with an FDA-approved COVID-19 vaccine. Yeah, yeah. And with um, with the monkeypox vaccine that is available, is it uh, like a one and done type of thing or does the effectiveness wane after a period of time? Yeah, so it's a it's a two shot series. Uh, the first and second shot are separated by a minimum of 28 days. And the recommendation after that for a booster is really dependent upon if you still get exposure to the virus. So here's the worst-case scenario for our country when it comes to monkeypox, that people who have monkeypox don't really do a good job of isolating. It gets out there, outside of the community we just described. And then more importantly is that our animals here in our country, whether it be pets or rodents or through whatever mechanism, the virus stays here, and it's more endemic like it is in parts of Africa where we see monkeypox. That that's something monkeypox-wise that keeps me up at nighttime. That the virus doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. Wow, Dr. Costello, I'm I'm curious. I'm one of those people who has a little a little scar on my arm because I was vaccinated for smallpox. Um, for those folks who have had a vaccine for smallpox, is there any protection? Do you think? Yeah, that's a great question. So so there's infection from there's infection. I'm sorry, there is protection from infection and then there's protection from severe disease. What you're referring to um, was as the smallpox vaccine that we stopped giving in our country in the early 1970s. I don't have one of those scars on me. I know my older <laughs> brothers and sisters and my parents do. So here's what we know. Those people who have had the smallpox vaccine, um, we have seen cases where those people have had monkeypox. But we also know, though, when if you have the smallpox vaccine from years ago, you do have a level of protection from severe disease. So if you do get monkeypox, it's expected to be a milder case. Okay. And, you know, I'm I'm thinking more about um, your concern about monkeypox getting into an animal population. Are there public health messaging campaigns or, or information or instructions for people who have monkeypox to not kind of play with their pets during that yes. time? Yes, there is. In fact, uh, the CDC, the Ohio Department of Health, and the local health departments really have strict guidelines for people who are diagnosed or thought to have monkeypox. And this is the guidance we're telling people. If you think you have monkeypox, get tested. Isolate yourself from your family, from animals. Get tested. Uh, here at Ohio Health, Every Ohio Health uh, ambulatory space, urgent care, emergency department is able to do monkeypox testing. It's a swab. It's a PCR test. Uh, We send it to a lab, and we usually get results back within one to two days because the lab runs the results Monday through Friday. Second thing, if you do have confirmed monkeypox, 
that's a reportable disease, you're going to be contacted by the local health department really to give you strict instructions to do all of those things. Stay home, isolate yourself, don't share your towels, your laundering, your bedding, and then to not have any contact with your pets, uh, no, no contact with any farm animals or wild animals. Interesting. And do we, do, does your health department of health have maybe a list of providers for that monkeypox test? Well, they don't have a list of providers per se. I will say this, um, most major medical systems, specifically systems like Ohio Health, like Mount Carmel, like Ohio mm -hmm. State, and even in your neck of the woods, should have processes in place to get patients uh, tested. You know, for Ohio Health specifically, I've been on point really educating doctors about monkeypox. And guess what? You know what? Up until recently, I'm, an, I'm a board-certified infectious disease doctor. Up until recently, I have not seen any cases in my entire life of monkeypox. And that's mm -hmm. what we're dealing with right now, really talking to doctors, pharmacists, and nurses about monkeypox because no one's ever seen it, and most people don't know anything about it. Yeah. Um, and just being aware of, you know, how it's, it's um, shared in the description that you provide, it makes me concerned about our Ohio University students or any university students who are living in close contact with each other in a dorm or other maybe um, residential settings. Would you, would you say that those are groups that might be at risk? Students? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there are men who have sex with men who attend uh, college at Ohio University. And uh, I dare say there's probably people who live in dormitories who fit in that demographic. And, you know, uh, Ohio Health is privileged to provide the health care down there, specifically within student health. And I, I know uh, they have a, a plan in place. They've received the proper education. And hypothetically, if, if there was a dormitory student who did have confirmed monkeypox, uh, we would have to obviously do contact tracing. Uh, everybody uh, in the dormitory or for certain the roommates may have to get a monkeypox vaccine. And, of course, those people who do have an exposure would be teed up and prioritized uh, to receive a vaccine as soon as possible. Mm. So once a person has been identified just through contact tracing like as exposed, it would be appropriate to administer the vaccine then? Uh, absolutely. And again, when, when we say exposure, it has to be in the exposure in the context of either a roommate or some, having some kind of a close, intimate contact. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So the CDC has a nice um, interactive map that kind of shows by state the number of cases. Um, there, it's growing. It's definitely growing. Should we expect to see a slowing trend with more vaccine? Um, what, what is your, what do you see when you look in your, you know, crystal ball, Dr. Gestaldo? What, what do you anticipate yeah. happening? Yeah. Yeah, so, so in Ohio, we are going to see more cases. You know, I think when you look at all of these numbers nationally, so look at the CDC website right now, there's a total of 9,492 confirmed cases of monkeypox, um, 73 confirmed cases in Ohio. I can tell you in Columbus, we have about 35 people who are waiting for the test results to come back. Um, mm -hmm. And that's just the tip of the iceberg for all the cases that are out there. Um, if you look at the overall trends in the epicenter so far in our country, that's New York City, they seem to have peaked uh, mm -hmm. over the last few days. But, again, we still need to continue to monitor those trends. 
But really, um, I, I dare say we are unfortunately going to see more monkeypox here in the United States, but we really need to be on point uh, of really uh, targeting, um, messaging out to at-risk communities and making sure doctors, nurses, and pharmacists uh, need to think about monkeypox and have a low threshold to test people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with monkeypox, Dr. Gastaldo, is there is there an, an exposure, then an incubation period, and then a period when a person could be infectious even before they show outward, you know, um, lesions? Yeah. So after somebody gets exposed to monkeypox, if they're going to get sick, most people get sick within seven to 10 days. The incubation period can be as high as 21 days. Um, Here's what's interesting. Most, but not all, most people who have monkeypox will have a prodromal syndrome, um, uh, symptoms of a fe- non-specific symptoms, fever, headaches, back pain, muscle pain. They may have enlarged glands or lymph nodes. Uh, three to four days after that, they'll develop uh, lesions. And these lesions are more than just on the skin. You get these lesions in your mouth. You can get them on your skin. You get them in your genital area. You get them in your rectal area. Not everybody who has these lesions will have the prodrome. Now, it's thought of by the CDC. This is still the guidance of the CDC. And, and, and I do believe it, but I want to see more studies. It's believed that people are only contagious or transmissible when they have symptoms. So we're really uncertain about asymptomatic spread at this point in time. But, but I tend to agree that you really have to have symptoms and really that prolonged intimate contact with somebody to be at risk of getting it. And do you say you have to have symptoms? Do you mean the, the, the skin, the, the symptoms that you actually visually see? Or can a person um, pass on this, this virus just when they have, like, the fever and the swollen lymph glands and yeah. that sort of thing? So, so what we're seeing right now in the current outbreak is people are most contagious and all the transmission is occurring when they have skin sores. Uh, or mouth sores, or genital sores, or anal sores. You know, you really have to have that prolonged intimate contact with those sores. Now, um, hypothetically, yes, um, people can have symptoms first without having uh, skin sores. They would be having the virus in their respiratory secretions and in their saliva. So, again, you would really have to have that person um, uh, coughing on you, or you have to have contact somehow with their saliva. Okay. You know, I, I probably have a hundred more questions running through my head about monkeypox, but I don't want to have this show slip by and not talk about COVID and the coronavirus. So if it's okay to maybe just do a quick pivot um, and, and talk about COVID a little bit, about the booster shots, about what we might expect with the current variants or future variants and, and kind of where we are with that. Yeah, that's a great yeah. that's a great segue. And again, I still want to reiterate the virus that's still of most concern for the public is the virus that causes COVID nineteen. In the United States, we're still averaging close to five hundred deaths a day from uh, COVID nineteen. We are over a million deaths. Um, um, and there's still a lot that we need to talk about. And the the, the conversation has changed. Let's talk about vaccines first. You know, the vaccines are still performing very, very well with what they were intended to do, and that's to prevent 
severe disease resulting in hospitalizations and deaths. That's very, very important, um, and that's the, and that metric, the vaccines are still performing very, very well. You know, um, we have come down nicely from our past winter surge. Uh, there's still a lot of COVID out there. There's a lot of COVID out there. We only get weekly um, uh, test results from the Ohio Department of Health, and what's being reported are the PCR test results. But I can tell you, though, most of the COVID testing done in the state of Ohio and nationally is from home antigen tests, and those are not reported to the health department. So those are out of the really ticker. Um, what, what I really like to see, I think, is a more reliable indicator is the hospitalizations from COVID and even the ultimate lagging indicator, deaths. And, uh, you know, I look at that here at Ohio Health. And I'll give you an example. Uh, at Ohio Health, we have many hospitals through North Central Ohio and Central Ohio and down into Oblenus Memorial Hospital in Athens. During the peak of the Omicron surge this last winter, we had close to 750 patients in all of the hospitals with COVID. Where we are now at Ohio Health is since July, we have gravitated anywhere from 120 to 140 patients in the hospital, all of our hospitals uh, with COVID. So that really hasn't changed too much. Our hospitalizations are up a little bit uh, from the, the low point uh, of where we, we were when we first came down from Omicron, but they really haven't changed at all. Here's, here's what I am saying, and we need to be on point uh, talking about vaccines. We want people to be up to we want people to be fully vaccinated. Yes, there are still people we need to respectfully engage who have not yet been vaccinated. Close to 30, 35 million people in our country still have not been vaccinated. But now we really want to get beyond the point of being up to date with the vaccines. I'm sorry, we want to be on the point of uh, being fully vaccinated. We want people to be up to date with their vaccines. What that means is, have you received all eligible boosters? Right now, everybody five and older in the United States is eligible to receive at least one booster. For those 50 and above, you're eligible to receive two boosters. And that's really important for people to be up to date. Uh, as you get older, your immune system doesn't work as well and you need more shots for that long-lasting immunity. In the state of Ohio, for example, if you look at the population where we are seeing more admissions from COVID, it's in the category of people above the age of 70. And when you look at Ohio's and the CDC dashboard for that group of people, under 40%, roughly 35% of people 65 and above have not received two boosters. Mm. And that's really where we have to get the messaging out there. We want people to be up to date on their vaccines. Right, right. What about, you know, people who might be thinking who might have been eligible for a booster? I know I had this conversation going on within my own head was when I became eligible for that second booster, it was during the down downward trend of and you know rates of infection and hospitalizations and my thought to myself was well do I go ahead and get it now I mean the, the it would be easy to get it because you know I don't have to stand in line or make an appointment I can walk in or knowing that the booster will wane a little bit at some point should I 
postpone it a little bit until I think we're closer to another surge. Call me crazy. I'm not sure. I had the conversation. I got my booster. That's, that was Good. my decision. <laughs> but I did, you know, was it like walk, don't run? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So let's dissect that a little bit. First of all, if, if you are immunocompromised, if you have at-risk conditions, don't wait for September. Get your booster now. And that's especially applicable to anybody above the age of 65, anybody who is immunocompromised. Get all available boosters that you can now. You know, when it comes to what's going to happen this fall, we don't have any clarity of when that new updated booster is going to be. What's been announced by the Biden administration is that uh, sometime in September, uh, there will be a new updated booster, what we call a bivalent vaccine, bi meaning to uh, that it will have the original ancestral strain and an Omicron component to it. Here's the deal, though. It still needs to be reviewed by vaccine subcommittee experts within the FDA and the CDC, and those review dates haven't even been announced yet. So I don't know with clarity if we say September, is it going to be late September? They're going to be reviewed in September, or are they going to be coming out in October? We don't know yet. And when a new vaccine does come out, I'm pretty certain that it will be prioritized for those most at risk of developing severe disease, older people and those who are immunocompromised. So even if, let's say somebody listening to this call is 48, they're eligible to get one booster. If you get one booster today, or for that matter, if you get any booster today, you're still going to be able to get that uh, new updated booster um, sometime in the future. We don't know what the interval is going to be uh, with the new booster. It's not going to be – I'm sure there's going to be an interval of at least maybe two or three months. The smallest interval now between booster number one and booster number two is four months. So, again, we want people to get their vaccines now if they're eligible to receive a booster. There's no harm in getting one. And we want to remind everyone that um, the health department here, the Athens City County Health Department, does have plenty of vaccines for those of you who are considering boosters. And for those of you who are listening who have never had a COVID vaccine, we do have um, the Novavax. Yeah, that, let's, let's, talk, let's talk about yeah. the Novavax vaccine. That is yeah. a great uh, segue. The Novavax vaccine is um, CDC recommended and FDA authorized. It is not an mRNA vaccine, and it's only authorized and recommended to give to people who have not yet been vaccinated. Right now, the Novavax vaccine uh, cannot be given as a booster to anybody. The Novavax vaccine is a more traditional type vaccine. Uh, it's actually very closely similar to the new shingles vaccine called Shingrix, which a lot of people have had. Uh, you have a protein, you have a spike protein that's made in the lab, and it's mixed with what we call an immune adjuvant or an immune booster to make, pe make sure people get a good immune response. But that is a great option out there for people who have over-concerns about the mRNA vaccines. And, and again, I want everybody to have a great layer of protection against dying or being hospitalized. If you are vaccinated, if you're up to date on your vaccines and you get COVID and you're home with mild cold or mild flu symptoms, that's the vaccine working. I don't want to see you in the hospital or I don't want to see you die from COVID. You know, moving forward, 
um, COVID should be a condition that we rarely see in the hospital. And, and maybe a good place to, to wrap it up here in a few minutes would be, you know, when when do you think this is going to be more endemic? When when does the pandemic part kind of end, do you think? Well, I, I think in the United States, we are really in the endemic um, window period. You know, uh, moving forward, uh, I hope that the virus is less disruptive on, on how we do our day-to-day operations. Um, and, and I think in the United States, since, since we have access to vaccines and treatments, we are really in that endemic period. Uh, but, you know, say, saying endemic does not mean that we don't have to think about COVID anymore because there are many things that are endemic that still cause a lot of pain and suffering that uh, are still out there. So I, I think we're there now. People need to have a plan. So what do I mean by that? I want everybody to have home tests. COVID.gov. That's the website you can go to. It's one-stop shopping by the government for uh, COVID information. Uh, You can go to COVID.gov and get hooked up to get free home antigen tests. Um, We now have the capacity to order free tests up to three times on there. Have those free tests. If you're not feeling well, uh, sequester yourself and get tested. Second thing. If you have an at-risk condition, what is your plan to get the outpatient treatments? Get that plan now. How do you get Paxlovid? How do you get monoclonal antibodies? Work on that plan now uh, if, you, if you have that. Um, we're going to talk about masks a little bit. Masks still have a role. Um, if you live in an area of high community level, it is still the CDC recommendation to wear a high-quality mask. When it comes to wearing masks, if you're going to wear a mask, wear it properly, and wear the highest quality mask that's going to protect you from getting COVID-19. That is not a cloth mask. I'm specifically talking about an N95 or a KN95 mask. And guess what? There are different masks out there that fit people more comfortably. My mom and dad do wear a KN95 mask out when they're in public. Uh, They're in their 80s. But it took them um, a, a while to find the right mask that's going to uh, properly fit them and the mask that they can most importantly be, more com- be comfortable wearing. Mm-hmm. I, I have a feeling masks are just going to be around now. I, I feel like they may never go away. Well, I, I hope they're going to go away sometime. But I think moving forward, it's going to be more common for people to wear a mask for whatever reason, yeah. you know, um, and that's fine. We, we that's yeah. you know th- that's been happening in other in other parts of the world for quite some time, and that's we have not really seen that much in the United States or in Ohio. But I think moving forward, you know, we don't know people's medical conditions. If you want to wear a mask, knock yourself out. Wear a mask. Yeah, I, and I think that's exactly what I mean. I think people are just going to keep it in you know another tool in the toolbox for staying well if they feel like they need it. Absolutely. And, you know, another thing on the horizon, too, uh, nobody can reliably predict this, but, you know, I think we, we are due for a bad flu season. Is, is it going to be this year? I don't know. I thought it was going to be last year. But anytime we have mild flu seasons, and we have had mild flu seasons now for the last two or three years, uh, that's always a harbinger for a bad flu season sometime. Uh, Australia is now in winter. They're having a bad flu season down there. That may be a canary in the coal mine for us mm-hmm. having a bad flu season this year. So uh, another reminder, uh, when you think about getting your COVID-19 vaccine, once the flu shot for this coming up flu season becomes available, please consider getting that too. 
the flu shot is FDA approved and CDC recommended for everybody six months and older. Great. Yeah. So, Dr. Casado, we know obviously the vaccines are like a number one priority that's being promoted. Um, you know, prevent severe illness or at the very end of the spectrum death. What about um, the things that happen in between? You know, we may have friends or relatives that have experienced what's being termed as long COVID or that now have conditions that whether proven or not, they are being associated with them having COVID. Um, do we have any better understanding of what is in the middle of the spectrum? What can happen to somebody who does test positive and have symptoms? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And um, I will say uh, the National Institutes of Health uh, is really doing a lot of research and trying to get people enrolled in studies on that. So one of the concerns about COVID, is, if you do get COVID, um, which I don't want anybody to intentionally go out and get COVID, uh, one out of five people, based on some CDC studies, will develop long COVID. And long COVID is a, a term we use that's very vague, and it really defer, refers to anybody who has prolonged symptoms after having COVID uh, for many months. Sometimes the symptoms are, are there, and they could be quite debilitating, like chest pain, uh, fatigue, shortness of breath, mental fogginess. And um, uh, we also know, too, uh, based on VA studies, that uh, veterans, they, they looked at veterans who have had COVID, and many of those people for many months uh, after having COVID have a much higher rate of having bad things happen to them, like heart attacks, strokes, the development of diabetes and other medical conditions. So uh, that's an area that um, we still need to have a definition for. You know, there's a World Health Organization um, a definition of long COVID. The CDC has a different definition of it. Uh, there is no blood test for long COVID. There is no specific study or x-ray you could do for long COVID. It's really these people who have proven COVID and after having COVID, they just, they're not back to baseline for a while, and uh, it can be quite debilitating, and it occurs in um, women more than men. Um, it can occur in any, any age. We know uh, children who have had long COVID. We know uh, kids who have been really um, active in athletics who can't participate in those after having COVID, mental health conditions, neurological problems, but, but, it, but it's something that we're still learning about, and another reason uh, to avoid trying to get COVID. Oh. <laughs> that's a, that's a, it's a lot to take in. Talk about, a Debbie, talk about a Debbie Downer, right? Right. No, no, no. It's just a lot to take in. You know, it's hard because I know there's just a lot of hard conversations that happen, you know, among people, between people, within families, et cetera. You know, the pros and cons of, of vaccine or no vaccine, you know, having severe symptoms, having, you know, people experience death in their families. And, and then, you know, you hear people talk to others and, and they think that these long COVID symptoms are all in their head or they're just blaming yeah. it on something. So it's, you know, I think one of the things I've personally been trying to focus on is, is how to navigate difficult conversations. <laughs> It's hard, and I, I've had difficult conversations, too, with my family members. You know, I, I have a lot of family members in rural counties, and um, I, I love them to death, and I support them, and, and I respectfully talk with people. 
you know, I'm, I'm first to admit when we don't have the answer to things, but I'm also uh, really strong in letting people know that um, we have safe and effective vaccines. These vaccines have really done a great job and really worldwide have saved millions of lives. Right, yeah. right. It's interesting when, when the pandemic was starting, how we talked about this time period as historic and continues. <laughs> we're, we're still uh, having some interesting public public health health related history. Yeah. And, and um, you're absolutely right too. And you know, public health in my humble opinion has always been the ugly duckling of healthcare because people think of it as like oh things like tuberculosis and sexually transmitted infections and things that really uh, don't pertain to me or my community. Guess what? It, public health pertains to everybody. We have COVID. We're dealing with monkeypox now, and um, you know th- there are there are going to be other viruses and other infections uh, that we have to be concerned about moving forward. Our world is getting smaller. We have people that travel all over the place. The way we communicate with each other is, is much uh, easier and more efficient than what it was five or ten years ago. Yeah. Well, Dr. Gustavo, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show with us. We always learn so much. Well, thank you for having me. It really is my honor to come and speak to you guys uh, down in Athens County. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Scott, do you have any closing remarks? Um, Yeah, you know, just a big thanks to Dr. Gustavo once again. And uh, I, after listening, now I was having questions about whether or not to get my second boost yet or wait for the updated, upgraded boost. But uh, after hearing Dr. Gustavo say, you know, don't wait till September or whenever it's, it's available, you can still get it after you get the second boost. Am I correct in hearing that? You are correct in hearing that. I I would uh, humbly advise you not to wait. Get your booster now. You'll still be able to get the new updated booster when it becomes available. No matter the time period in between the second boost and the new one. That's correct. Now, we don't know what that time interval is going to be. You know, after you get a vaccine, what the booster does is it raises your antibody levels for a period of time. So right now, if you get a booster, your antibody levels are going to go up. You're going to be protected from infection with the current variant for a short period of time. And as your antibody titers come back down, you'll be at risk for an infection, but you'll still be protected well from dying or being hospitalized. But you'll still be able to get that booster when it becomes available uh, this fall. And, you know, and, and I do think people who are going to be at risk are going to be prioritized for it. Great. Terrific. Well, I, that was an answer I needed because I was I was waiting. And then after hearing you speak today, um, there there's my answer. So thank you. <laughs> Good timing for that, I guess. <laughs> so uh, thank you. And again, I want to mention Dr. Gestaldo. Uh, I, I have some friends who are high-level executives, business executives in the central Ohio area. And you've spoken to a few of their groups and they just rave about your presentations and how uh, wonderful you are with them and explaining things and uh, teaching things and basically just the overall presentation of, of 
day-to-day issues and conditions with uh, not only uh, COVID, but uh, now monkeypox, too. So uh, I thought I would pass that along to you as well. So uh, thank you so much uh, for being with us again today. And, uh, yeah, we certainly look forward to having you back again because with this COVID changing from uh, day-to-day, week-to-week, who knows? You know, we, we are certainly thankful for your information and, again, taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. Kim and Ruth, thank you. And Ruth Dudding, you may see me today getting the second boost shot today. Good. At, at the <laughs> Athens City County Health Department. You heard it here, folks, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Now I have to, right? <laughs> right. No pressure, Scott. Yeah. But we're going to follow oh, up on not that. Oh, at all. That, that way I get to see Ruth and all of the wonderful people there at the Athens County <laughs> Health Department. So, uh Again, thank you, Dr. Gastaldo, Ruth, Kim. It's always a pleasure to hear the sunshine come through on the radio airwaves with uh, both of you and the guests you bring on. And very, very wonderful information for all of us. So thanks again. Have a wonderful day, blessed day, week, and weekend. And we'll talk again uh, next Wednesday. That's right. Okay, sounds good. Well, uh, well, we'll see you then. Well, we'll talk to you then. How about that? Yeah. Thank you, Scott. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.